Good day to fellowship. Good morning, Gateway. Good to see everyone on this beautiful Sunday morning. I'd like to welcome you and those in the gymnasium or those watching us at home. It's so great to be with you to worship the Lord and just be together as family. Just a couple announcements before we get started. I'm going to have uh, Daniel Paul come up to uh, make an announcement about our youth. Uh, first off, kids worship continues today. Kids first through fourth grade. Uh, during the sermon, right after the prayer, you'll be released to go down the hall and meet the, Mr. Rick um, Steen down there and head over for a wonderful time in the Word and to be encouraged this morning. Very excited about an event in a couple weeks. Friday, April 23rd, uh, we will have another event of Secret Church. How many of you have heard of Secret Church? Raise your hand. It's an awesome time. It's we get in the trenches for six hours in this room. Friday night, April 23rd, it starts at 6 p.m. Uh, we get to do it in person this year, and uh, it's David Platt. Um, they've been doing this for almost 20 years now. Um, just a wonderful time of teaching and discipleship as we pray for the nations coming together. And um, I'm going to read what the emphasis is this year just to give you some things you can pray about whether or not you want to attend. Go and make disciples of all nations. A clear command and monumental charge from Jesus. Yet what if, despite our best intentions and sincerest efforts as the church to obey Jesus, we're actually ignoring what he said? At best, what if we have misunderstood him? And what if much of our efforts are unknowingly keeping millions upon millions of people around the world from eternal life? Further, what if much of our efforts are keeping you and me from experiencing God's purposes for our lives? Unlike any secret church we have ever done, Secret Church 21 is designed to be a groundbreaking journey through God's word and around the world that leads to a tectonic shift in the way you view your life, your family, and God's design for the church. For your eyes will be open not only to a great imbalance that is affecting countless people for eternity, but also to, to the bold opportunity you have to change it with your time on this earth. So this year it is called the Great Imbalance. We have probably 25 or so people already signed up. Um, we have about 20 or so slots still open as far as books. Uh, more can come if we have an abundance. Uh, sometimes couples can share the book. But I just encourage you, man, it's a wonderful time, wonderful time together. Six hours does seem long. But once you're in here and experiencing it, it goes by fast. It really does. We break up at different moments to have small group time of prayer. Uh, they always have a nation that we intercede for. We have snacks and fun stuff. It's just a great time of fellowship. So I just encourage you, we do have books still available. You have to register on our website because uh, we want to make sure everybody gets a book. So registration is on our blog. And just, again, encourage you to attend. This afternoon at 4 o'clock, have another opportunity to intercede and pray for our body and um, things going on in our church at 4 p.m. here in the sanctuary. I um, want to encourage you if you want to come and be a part of that. And um, also, just a reminder, we have some wonderful discipleship opportunities every Sunday morning over in our gym at 9 a.m., for our Sunday school small groups. Uh, there's a new study starting in Jeff Moody's class. They're gonna begin the Sermon on the Mount, going through it verse by verse. Uh, Greg and Mark, uh, also two of our elders, are going through 1 Corinthians, and William and Ron Burke are leading a group in room three on pursuing God, as well as the youth. We're continuing to go through the dogma of our faith, learning foundational truths of Christianity, and then obviously children's groups with the Lifeway, the Gateway Project. So just lots of opportunities to connect in a deeper way. And so we encourage you to do that um, on Sunday mornings to go in deeper with community. Mr. Polk, there is, I'm startled there. Holy Spirit doing that. Okay, sorry. 
<laughs> so in addition to opportunities, I'm going to mention one to you. So there's a group of volunteers that have been working with the youth ministry on a faithful, consistent basis. There's a Wednesday night group and a Sunday morning group. And we believe, as a group of volunteers, that it's time to bring back in the home small group youth meetings. There was a time where we did that uh, every Sunday night. And so what we'd like to do is something above and beyond Sunday morning and Wednesday night. And so we have a couple of needs regarding that. So there's two, two things I'm asking for. One is for host homes. So if you are willing to open up your home to host a small group, a youth small group meeting, uh, please let me or any of the volunteers raise your hand so you know who to go to, either me or some other hands around, Ms. CJ. Let us know if you're interested in hosting a small group for the youth. Now, that doesn't mean all the youth will be in your home at one time. It does not mean you have to open up your pantry. I mean, this is not going to be the, the first dinner scene of the Hobbit movie. It's not going to be like that. <laughs> at least I don't think it will be. Uh, can't promise you that. So if you're willing to host, now you do not have to be a parent of a youth. You do not even have to have a child. All we need is a willing adult to host your home. And we'll work out the other details. Okay, some of these are still going to be in process of, of ironing out all the details. We're just looking for willingness right now. So the first volunteer need is for the home to host a meeting. The second is for maybe somebody who doesn't host or can't host or doesn't want to, but still wants to volunteer and plug in in some capacity in a small group setting. Uh, without getting into too many details, the statistics show an overwhelming number of youth once they graduate, leave the church, and one of the main ways to prevent that is interrelationships with one another in the church, with other adults in the church. So if you don't want to host, but you want to plug in to get to know some of our amazing youth that do come week in and week out, we want to invite you as well to just be a part of it. We just want some people who are willing to volunteer, even if you just sit back and kind of do this, like, like most of us do in the beginning, we want you to. So first, host homes, and second, volunteers just to plug in. If you would like to do either one of those things, please let any of the, any of the volunteers know me, the Joneses, CJ, uh, and we'd love to have you join that. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Uh, we can stand and begin our time declaring the word of God over us for we worship the Lord through song. Psalm 146, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord while I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Do not trust in princes or in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs and he returns to the earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. But how blessed is he who help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord protects the strangers. He supports the fatherless and the widow, but he thwarts the way of the wicked. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Let's worship him this morning. See, come thou fount of every blessing. Come thou fount of every blessing. 
Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Father, thank you for this invitation. Thank you for the blood of Christ, that the veil was torn, and you allow us into the Holy of Holies, into your very presence, Lord. And we're not consumed, but we're met by a loving Abba, Father, because of Christ. We worship you, Jesus. We bring these requests before you. Lord, we just, even now, Lord, we thank you for marriage. We thank you for your grand design of humanity. Lord, we want to pray for the marriages particularly in this church. Lord, we need you in the most intimate and closest of people. But yet come together, Lord, to demonstrate and declare your greatness, Lord, to model the beloved relationship between Christ and his church. And Lord, so we want to pray, Lord, we know the enemy is against that visible demonstration of your relationship. 
relationship with your church, Lord. So we want to pray, Lord, for your grace to cover the marriages in this church. Lord, we pray for healing and relationships where it needs to be. Lord, for understanding and wisdom. Lord, to serve one another. Lord, to give preference to one another. Lord, to lay down our lives for one another. Lord, to do what only you can do in the human heart. And that's transform us. And Lord, we need to be changed, each one of us here. And we just pray you would do that in the marriages of this church where it's needed, Lord. That we could be a visible demonstration of your great, great love for your church. Lord, we also want to pray for our community, for the church at Eastern Oaks and Pastor Danny Gillenwater. God, just pray, Lord, for truth in the gospel to permeate that church. Lord, for Pastor Gillenwater just to be filled with your spirit even today as he teaches, Lord, as he shepherds, Lord, that body, that local body. And Lord, we just pray that you would multiply them. Lord, you would bless them. And Lord, we want to just pray for Pastor Mark and Haiti, Lord, who we've had a long relationship with. Lord, they've recently seen many come to Christ, 31 recently. Uh, and we just pray for discipleship. We pray that they would be able to, uh, to be taught truth, to begin to walk, Lord, in the truth of life in Christ. Lord, that their, a church would possibly be planted there. Oh, Lord, we just ask for your hand to be on them, your grace to be with them. Lord, we also want to pray for uh, today, particularly for Christians in Pakistan. Lord, just the persecution that they are under if they name the name of Christ. We pray for, Lord, against fear for them. Lord, that you would uh, give them, Lord, a spirit of courage. Lord, we know that you haven't given them a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And Lord, we just pray, too, for uh, that you would mobilize the believers there to share the gospel, Lord. Give them courage to do that. And Lord, we also pray for uh, Lord, just today as we have the opportunity to give to you or whether uh, we, we've already given or things that will be given, Lord, we thank you for your, your bounty to this church. And Lord, that you've, you've really raised up a generous people here, and we just thank you for your provision. Lord, we thank you for Grady, Lord, for the teaching gift that you've given him, and Lord, that he is faithful. Lord, he's so faithful to serve, uh, serve this church, Lord, and to teach us truth. Lord, to do it in a way we can understand it with such love and with such grace, Lord. Thank you that he is leading us to be a gospel-centered church as he teaches us, and particularly as we teach through, uh, Lord, just the truths that, that really span across your word in this season. I want to close our time with Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Lord, I thank you for this body that as we assemble together, Lord, that we can encourage one another and that no one will leave here today discouraged because we've met with you and we've met with one another. And we just commit all of this to you in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.
And boys and girls in first to fourth grade, you are dismissed to kids' worship. So I'll let you head out the doors there. Mr. Rick will be teaching you back there today. So first to fourth grade, you are welcome to head that way. We need to pray for Mr. Rick today. I think he's going to have a full house back there. <laughs> have fun, guys. <laughs> well, good morning, Gateway. It is great to see you this morning. To those here in the sanctuary and our friends in the gym and those at home, we are grateful that we get to gather together. What a blessing and privilege, friends, we have to be able to gather in public place like this to sing his praises, to pray, to study his word. Lord, Lord, we're just thankful for the kindness that the Lord has given to us and being able to do that. I want you to find Isaiah chapter 43 in your copy of God's Word. Go into Old Testament this morning, Isaiah chapter 43. Now, if you're visiting with us or new with us, we're doing a study we're calling Rooted, Grounded in the Word. And the goal of this study is to help us better understand what we believe because it affects our own good. It affects our maturity. It affects our stability in a hard world. But we're not just doing this for our own personal self-gain here. We want to know what we believe. We want to go deeper in that for the good of one another. Because being united in what we believe brings a great unity to the church. It also enables us to help one another be able to walk out our faith because we need one another. But we're also doing this for the good of the lost. That we want to better be able to share the gospel, the hope of Christ with the hurting world around us. And so we're doing this not only for our own good, for the good of the church, but for the good of the nations in view as well. That's why we're going deep into the Word of God. Now, if you're new with us, we're using a guide called the New City Catechism. Now, a catechism sounds like a scary word, but all it is is a book that's a, a series of questions and answers to help us understand what we believe. It gives us a question about our faith, and then it gives us an answer from the Word of God. We're using a catechism called the New City Catechism. If you don't have it yet, there's a free app to help guide you through that. You can get that on our website, gatewaybaptist.com. If you're here on campus, there's a big stack of them in the gym building. Lab. There's a stack in the back table in the back of the sanctuary. There's some outside the office and the resource center. So if you're visiting us and don't yet have a catechism book, please get one before you leave. It's a gift from us to you. We want you to have it. There's an adult book, a book, can talk today, adult book and a kid's version as well. We want to make sure you get one of those for each one of you. Now, two weeks ago, we began question four from this catechism. And the question was, how did God create us. Now, CJ did a great job that morning of teaching us that God created us in his own image. And that's an incredible truth. I hope you've been thinking on that truth the last two weeks. And I hope you've been reflecting on how that truth changes how we relate. Because it's so profound to realize that we are fellow image bearers of God, and we need to be speaking to one another and caring for one another as an image bearer of God. So I hope you've been reflecting on that truth he taught us and thinking about, am I speaking to my spouse, to my kids, to my coworkers, to my friends, to my neighbors as image bearers of God. But we split question four because it was such a rich question in our catechism. CJ did the how question two weeks ago. Today I pick up the why question. Why did God create us? Have you ever stopped to ponder that? Why did God create us as people? Why did God create the universe? Why did God create the earth? But why did he create you and me? Why did he create people? And friends, if we're honest, I don't think it's a question we think about quite enough. Because how we answer the why question of why God makes us is going to shape the how we live each day. And don't miss that. How we understand why God created us, how we answer that question, why did God create us, is going to shape how we live each and every day. Now, if you think about the question, why did God make us, there's a lot of popular answers that float around today. And unfortunately, most of them are wrong and pretty dangerous. Have you ever heard people answer, someone, you ask them, why did God make us? Have you ever heard someone answer, well, God made us because he was lonely? That's a real popular idea. It floats around in mainstream American Christian culture. But friends, that's wrong. God did not make us 
because he was, he was lonely. That's projecting our feelings onto God. That's bringing God down to our level. The truth is God was never lonely. Before he made the world, before there was even time, before he created the universe, before God made anything, he was perfectly complete, content, and satisfied in and of himself. Now, if you think back several weeks ago, one of our earlier questions, we said, what is God? And in that time, we talked about the God as triune. He's one God, but three persons. That for all eternity, there was never a time that God did not exist as one God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's always existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect harmony, in perfect love, in perfect joy, and in perfect relationship as of one triune God. I get a little glimpse of this in John chapter 17, verse 24. I want you to see that up on the screen. In John chapter 17, verse 24, Jesus prays this, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you've given me. Now notice this, because you love me before the foundation of the world. Before God even made time, this world, people, there was already perfect love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God did not make us because he was lonely. Well, if that's not the case, other people answer, well, God made us because God needed someone to love. Well, friends, that one's wrong, too. That is us projecting what a parent might do to giving their kid a pet. Well, hey, my daughter needs someone to love, so I'll give her a pet. You know, we project that onto God, but that's not why God made us. God didn't need someone to love. That sounds sweet and mushy and nice, but that's not does not apply to God. God needs nothing to exist. God needs nothing to feel complete in himself. God needs nothing to self-actualize in this. We get a glimpse of this in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. In Acts 17... The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Now notice verse 25 here. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives life, or gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God needs nothing. He doesn't need anything. So he doesn't need us to have someone to love. So if God's not lonely and God doesn't need someone to love, why then did he make the universe? Why did he make people? Why did he make you? And why did he make me? We find our answer this morning in Isaiah chapter 43. And as we look at this text, you'll see it there. It's a very short but powerful phrase that tells us why God made it. So we're, this morning we're going to focus on verses 5 to 7 of Isaiah chapter 43. So can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God, of this incredible grace gift that we have God's revelation to us right before our eyes. So Isaiah chapter 43, verse 5, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. The words will also be on the screen for you, starting in verse number 5. God says, Fear not. For I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. Verse 6. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray you would give us understanding into your word. As we look at what the prophet Isaiah said some 700 years before Christ came, I pray that these words would come alive to us today here in Montgomery in 2021. Lord, I pray that you would just breathe life into them and help us understand this truth. And I pray that you would grow our perspective of who you are and why you made us, and it would be very life-altering for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So why did God create us? Here's what I want you to see from this text this morning. Here's our main idea for the day. God created us for his own glory. And that reality, friends, should give us humility, purpose, and hope. 
God created us for his own glory. There's a short answer. He made us for his glory. Now, there's a lot of truth packed in that little phrase, for his glory. We're going to try to unpack that this morning to understand what that really means. But as we start this out at the beginning, I want us to realize how life-altering that should be. The question of why God made us is not just some nice philosophical question for us to think about just so we can have something interesting to ponder. This is very life practical altering truth for us because if we understand that God made us not for us but for his glory that will foster in us humility that will foster in us a sense of purpose and mission in life and that will foster in us hope as we walk through the hardships of life God created us for his glory I want us to understand that from this text this morning now in Isaiah chapter 43 we need to see the context of what's going on here to make sense of this we need to be very careful pulling a single phrase out of scripture looking at that in isolation. Now, it's easy to do. That's what our culture, honestly, loves to do. And Isaiah 43 has some catchy sound bites here that we love to look at. All the way back in verse 1, that we see things like, fear not, I have redeemed you. You see things like, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Or what we come to in verse 7 today, who are created for my glory. These are catchy short phrases, and yes, they're full of truth, but we need to understand the context of what they're in to get the whole big message of what we're looking at this morning. What you have here in Isaiah 43 is a message from a prophet. Just to remind us in the Old Testament, prophets were sent by God to give a message on his behalf. God sent the prophets to his people. And usually he sent the prophets to his people to rebuke his people, to correct them or instruct them because they had forsaken God. And his love for them, he sent the prophets to correct them. That's exactly what's happening here in Isaiah. This is the prophet Isaiah. He lived about 700 years before Jesus came, and he spoke to God's people who had turned from God. I want you to see the very beginning of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 1, back in verse 1, so you have the context of what we're looking at. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Just remind you, this is history we're looking at here. Verse 2, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. So you have Isaiah recording this for us, but ultimately he's bringing the message from the Lord to the people of God. And notice what God says at the outset to his, to his people, his children here. He says, children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord. They despise the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. What a way to start a letter, right? But you see God's indictment on his people. But before we throw stones and judge them too harshly, friends, we're honest. We're very much like them in a lot of ways, aren't we? We choose our own path and we forsake God's path and we do what we want to do, irregardless sometimes of what God has said. But God loves his people so much he does not leave them where they are. God disciplines his people when they are wandering to bring them back to him. That's what happens in Isaiah's time. God's people would turn on him, so God sends foreign nations to invade Israel and to take God's people out and to take them into captivity. And so when Isaiah writes this, God's people are now exiles in a foreign land. Their land has been taken over. And we see this in the previous chapter, in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 24. Talk about sobering words here. There's the question Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel? To the plunderers. So, so why was Israel invaded? Was it just because there was evil nations around them? No, the answer is right there. Was it not the Lord? Why were they invaded? Why was Jacob and Israel invaded? Because it was not the Lord against whom we have sinned, and whose ways they would not walk, and whose law they would not obey. So God in his sovereign plan sends foreign nations to invade and take God's people out as exiles because they had turned their back on God. Yet in his mercy, he sends Isaiah to them to call them to repentance, but to also show them that hope 
is coming. So we pick up in Isaiah chapter 43, where our text is for this morning, just a few verses before. Notice how Isaiah 43 begins, verse 1. But now, talk about hope for them. They've forsaken the Lord, they've been self-exiled, but now, something is changing in verse number 1. He says, but now, says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. Now go to verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 43. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned, and the flame will not consume you. Talk about tender words from the Lord right there. Some of those precious words in all of Scripture of God telling his people, fear not, and I am with you. Now notice something here. The people are in exile. They're going to get to return home, but God doesn't promise them an easy road. God doesn't promise them a pain-free, trial-free way to get back. He says, you're going to walk through waters, you're going to walk through fire, you're going to walk through trials and hardships, but do not fear in those because I am with you. And then we come to verses 3 and 4, right before our text for today. And he says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. What God is doing here is showing them that he is sovereign over all things, that he is the one who's going to do what he wants to do, and he can change nations to accomplish his purpose for his people. That leads us to our text for today, verses 5 through 7. As he sends Isaiah to give his people hope, he does three things here to help them find hope. He gives them something, first of all, that is present tense that he's doing now. He gives them something future tense that he's going to do, and he gives them something past tense that he's already done. Now, for you OCD people like me, it's hard when it goes present, future, past, because it's supposed to be what past, present, future, but that's the way God revealed it here, not in the order we like here, but present, future, past. So I want us to look at that this morning here to see what God is telling his people, because our answer to why God made us is found in how he's giving his people hope here. First of all, start with verse 5. He says, fear not, for I am with you. Present tense, in the middle of their exile, in the middle of their hardships, in the middle of the trials, God says, fear not, I am with you right now. Even though you're far from your home, even though you're being disciplined by me, even though you're under this very difficult time, he says, I am with you. Present tense, in the middle of the hardships, God is still there. He is not abandoned. Just what we sang a few minutes ago, not for a moment will you forsake me. That is what God is declaring to his people in the middle of of their discipline by him at this point. That's the present hope he gives them. But he gives them a future hope as well in verses 5 and 6. Let's pick back up in verse 5. It says, I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the rest I will gather you. Verse 6, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Now this is future tense. God is giving a specific promise to Israel here. This is not a promise for us to claim. This is a promise to Israel who is scattered at the time. He's telling us that he is going to bring his people back to their homeland. They were sent off to Babylon as exiles being disciplined by the Lord, but God is now making a way for his people to return home back to their land, back to Jerusalem. It doesn't matter where they got scattered, whether it's north, south, east, or west, them and their descendants will get to return home to the promised land. So present tense, God says in your trial, I'm with you. Future tense, he says you can return to your land, but he gives one more. He now tells them past tense, what he already has done to give them hope. And here in the past tense in verse 7 is where we find the answer to our question, why? Did God make us? So look at verse 7 again. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed, and who I made. Three past tense word here. He said, I created, I formed, and I made. These are all synonyms for creation. These are all synonyms for the intentional work that God did to bring things into existence from nothing, and specifically to make people 
in his image. So here's our easy, quick answer to the question. Why did God make us? He says, whom I created for my, what's the next word? What is it? Glory. glory. So why did God make us? He made us, it says, for his glory. Now, friends, that is a massively significant phrase that is deep and loaded with so much meaning. Now, for us to understand it, there's two words we need to understand at the outset of this to make sense. Number one is the word glory itself. We speak of glory, we sing of glory, but it's a hard word to define. It's like trying to define the word beauty. If someone says, hey, how, what is something beautiful? It's kind of start easy to point to beautiful things, but how do you define beauty? Kind of same thing with glory. How do you define the word glory? I want to give you several ways different people have tried to define it to build to something. The Puritan Thomas Watson said glory is the sparkling of the deity. What does that mean? The sparkling of the deity? Okay. So Wayne Grudem, one of my favorite theologians, CJ quoted him some two weeks ago. He says, the glory is the created brightness that surrounds God's revelation of himself. The creative brightness that surrounds God's revealing of himself. So we've got some people saying the sparkling of God. Some people say it's brightness. A theologian by the name of Herman Bavink says it's the splendor and the brilliancy that is inseparably connected with all of God's virtues. It is the splendor, the brilliancy, the brightness that's connected to God's character, to all of his virtues. Which brings us up to a guy named Mark Jones. He has a book on the attributes of God in our resource center out there. He says, quite simply, glory is the sum of all of God's attributes. It's the sum of all of God's attributes. You see, it's hard to define. So we talk about the glory of God. We're talking about the brightness around God's presence. This is quite simply the summary of all he is. It's the totality of who God is. When you look upon God and his brilliance and his beauty and his attributes, the word that sums it off is simply the word glory. Get a little glimpse of this in Psalm chapter 29, verse 9. I want you to see that up on the screen. In Psalm 29, you get to begin to see the majesty of the Lord. I think, do we have it up there? Psalm 29, 9. I think it's coming. If not, you'll find it for Psalm 29, 9 this morning. This is the context of God speaking and things. There it goes. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And all in his temple cry. What do they cry? Glory. When, when people see God in his majesty, when people see God moving, the only response to try to summarize what you're seeing is just the word glory. Because it's the fullness of who God is, the brilliance of who God is. Now, there's something really important when we talk about the glory of God that we need to understand to guard us from error. And that's simply this, that God's glory cannot increase or decrease. We can't add to God's glory. We can't do anything to make God more glorious, nor can we do anything to take away from the glory of God. God is fully, always glorious all the time. He is unchanging in all things. In Psalm 102, verse 27, I want you to see that as well. In Psalm 102, it says, But you, God, are the same. And your years have no end. Nothing in God changes. God doesn't have good days and bad days, good moods and bad moods. God is unchanging in his essence in all ways. God is not merciful one day and wrathful the next day. God is fully, always, all the attributes, all the time. That means God is fully glorious all the time. And you and I can't do anything that makes him more glorious, and you and I can't do anything to make him less glorious. God is unchanging in his glory. There's a second word we need to understand when we think of glory, and it's the word to glorify. To glorify means we acknowledge something that has glory. We acknowledge something that has glory. We honor something that has glory. We do not add to that glory. Rather, we recognize that glory and we honor glory that is already there. Now, what gets confusing here, friends, is a lot of times when you see the word glory in Scripture, it's the way we use glorify today. It's not adding to God's glory. It's just people using the word glory to describe glorifying God. So, for example, Psalm number 29. In Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2, I want you to see what happens here in this text. A psalm of David. 
And notice this, ascribe to the Lord. So we're not adding anything to the Lord, we're just ascribing, we're describing, we're worshiping God's nature. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Now in verse 2 of that same psalm, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So to glorify is not us adding to God's glory, to glorify is us recognizing God's glory and responding to it. So when we say God made us for his glory, then in light of those two definitions, what does that mean? I'll give you three truths to help us understand what that means and why these two definitions. So what does it mean that God made us for his glory? Three things I believe we have to understand because I believe it's all these. Number one, God made us for his glory means he created us for his own pleasure. So number one, he created us for his own pleasure. You perhaps could say it more simply, he made us because he wanted to. That God is sovereign, God is all-powerful, he's brilliant, he's all-wise. And so God does what God wants to do, no other reason needed for that. You get a glimpse of this in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. And that's what it says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory. So here it is, he's not getting more glorious, but he's receiving praise. This is what it means here. To receive glory and honor and power. For you create all things, and it's by your will they existed and were created. Now, in the Greek where this was originally written, the word will also can be translated pleasure. By your pleasure, they exist. By your pleasure, because of your own desire, they were created. So why are there clownfish in the ocean that look funny, that look like Nemo from the Disney movies? Uh, because God looked and thought, that looks really cool, I'm going to do that. You know, why are there stars that from the earth look like dippers and look like belts on things? Why? Well, because God looked and thought, hey, that's pretty cool, I want to make it that way. Why are there creatures that glow at the bottom of the ocean where no human eye have seen it until recent years, where humans can't even live that far down? you got these glow-in-the-dark creatures that swim around by thermal vents. Why? Well, because God sees it. It pleased him. He liked it. Why do you and I have two eyes and two ears and a big nose sticking out in the front? Well, God thought it was pretty cool, so he made us that way. Why did God make us quite simply for his pleasure? It pleased him. So why is the earth look the way the earth does? Why do we look the way we do? Why are there all these crazy things in creation? Because it's his will. It brought him pleasure. So at the outset, why did God create us for his glory? It means he did it because it pleased him. But being created for his glory means a second thing. He also created us, it means to show his greatness. So if we want to be, if we're created for his glory, that also means he created us to show his greatness. Now, C.J. taught on this so well two weeks ago from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. If you remember from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, we'll put it up on the screen for you there. That God created us in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. That God made us different animals. God made us the pinnacle of all of creation to show his nature. He made us to image him. That's why C.J. showed us we're moral beings. God is moral. He knows right from wrong. And so he made us a people who know right from wrong. He made us spiritual beings because God is a spirit. So he made us spiritual beings who can worship him in spirit and truth. He gave us minds. God thinks and God creates. So he made people who think and can create. God is relational before there's ever time. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in perfect harmony. He made us relational beings to relate. God, God made us even physically as C.J. pointed out so well that I hadn't thought about before, that God made us by design because he knew exactly what he wanted Christ to look like when he came as Emmanuel, God with us. So he made humanity in the way he wanted the, the incarnated Christ to look. He made us all these things, body, soul, and spirit, to reflect him, to reflect his nature. And one of my favorite authors is a guy by the name of John Piper, and he summarized it so well. He said, the point of an image is to image. Think about that. The point of an image 
is to image. Images are to display the original. So if we're made in the image of God, God is what he's imaging forth through us. They were to point to the original, to glorify the original. God made humans in his image so that the world would be filled with reflectors of God. He made it so the world would be filled with reflectors of God. I love this. Images of God. Seven billion statues of God so that no one would miss the point of creation. And Isaiah brings that out just a little bit later. In Isaiah chapter 48, verses 9 through 11, I want you to see in Isaiah 48, he tells us more about this idea of him imaging us. He's making us show his greatness. In Isaiah 48, verse 9, he says, For my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Now, just stop right there for a second. God is saying, I have been merciful to you, not because you're such an amazing people and you're just so awesome. I'm your cheerleader here to get you through this hard life. No. He's saying, I am seeing you through these hard times for my name's sake. For my sake of my praise, I am not treating you as your sins deserve. Now go on in verse number 10 here. He says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Why? Verse 11. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. How shall my, glory, how shall my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. I mentioned earlier there's all these little quotable things from Isaiah. This is not the one that makes it a most refrigerator magnets, is it? For my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. That's not the phrase most people kind of latch on to here and think about all the time. But this is the truth that we forget so often, that God made us to show off his greatness. He made us for his glory. It's about him, not about us. The prophet Ezekiel brings out the exact same thing in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 21. He's writing about the exact same situation with God's people in exile. And look at how Ezekiel says the same thing. God says, But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel profaned among the nations in which they came. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. Friends, do you see what he's saying here in this? That he has even doing all he's doing, not for their sake, that they benefit from his mercy. He's doing it for the sake of his own name. Again, the phrase that we don't typically hang on picture frames over our house and in our sofas, it's not for your sake that I do it. I'm doing it for my own sake, for the sake of my name. That's what I love so much. If you notice the song that Justin's introduced to us over the last year that we sing periodically, it's this truth right here. It says, for the sake of his name, for his unrivaled fame, he has reconciled his people at the cross. As his anger is spent on the Savior he sent, see him vindicate the greatness of his name, his glorious name. And so when we sing that here, you realize you're singing the truth that comes out of Ezekiel 36. You're singing the truth that comes out of Isaiah 48, the truth that comes out of Isaiah 43. That song is just a reflection of things that we typically don't think about, and if we're honest, doesn't make it on Christian radio or much Christian TV, that God does what he does for the sake of himself, for the sake of his name and his glory. So why did God create us? He created us for his glory. That means he created us because it pleased him. It was his pleasure. He created us to show his greatness. And number three, he created us to glorify him in response. He created us to glorify him in response. Remember, glory God already has. Glorify does not add to glory. It acknowledges glory. And Isaiah brings this out. We just saw in verse 7 a minute ago that people who are created for his glory. Now, if you look a few verses down to Isaiah 43, verse 21. That's what he says. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. 
Now notice the parallels here. In verse 7, he talks about the people he's formed and made for his glory. And some of the people he has formed for myself that they might declare my praise. So God made us to respond to his glory by glorifying him. Now how do we glorify him? That's in two weeks in question six. If you're going to look ahead in the catechism, question six is coming. And the question is, how do you glorify God? That is a whole sermon in and of itself. And if you want to make it to lunch or dinner today, we're going to have to pause on how do we glorify God for two weeks from now. But for now, for the sake of today, realize that our response to all God has done for us is to glorify him, is to acknowledge his glory, to praise his glory, to talk about his glory with others. So why did God make us? He made it for his glory. That means he made us for his own pleasure, quite simply because he wanted to. It means he did it to show off his greatness, to image himself to a watching world. And then he did it so we would glorify him in response. That all gets summarized in that little phrase in verse number seven, whom I created for my glory. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, that truth should radically alter our lives. It should not just be a nice thought to be like, hey, at church day we talked about the theology of God's glory. Friends, this is not just a thing to put on the shelf with some books. This should be like radically life transforming and how you and I live day by day by day in light of this truth. I believe if we really embrace the fact that God made us for himself, that God made us for his glory, it'll foster three things in our lives. And what you see these three things as we wrap up this morning. Number one, it should foster in us humility. It should foster in us humility. Think of those verses we just read from Ezekiel from Isaiah 48. It's not for your sake I do this, but it's for my sake. It's for the sake of my name, my praise. God is saying this over and over. This is to bring us to a proper place of humility. Friends, pride is the root sin out of which almost all of our other sins grow. When we look at the sins you and I struggle with on a day-by-day basis, the thing that drives all of it is pride in our own heart. And unless we forget what God thinks about pride, if you remember James chapter 4, verse 6, I think you'll have that up on the screen. We worked through James last year. But God gives more grace. Therefore, it says God, what does he do to the proud? He opposes the proud. Friends, it can't get much stronger than that. God hates pride in all places, and he hates pride in the life of his people. But God gives grace to the humble. Pride is thinking too much of ourselves. Pride is making our lives all about us and our preferences, our wants and our desires, making sure that life goes just how we want it to go. And one of the ways we do what James 4 says to humble ourselves before God is we remember that our lives are not about us. Our lives are about him and his glory. As I was reading and studying this week, I came across this quote from one author, and this just really made me stop and think. I want to share it with you. He said, this perspective of God-centeredness has been lost in our day. Think about this. This perspective of God-centeredness has been lost in our day, even in churches. Man is now the star in our contemporary drama, and our comfort, prosperity, and health are the great goals. Of course, God is still there on the stage, but kind of as a co-star, the supporting actor to round out the picture. Isn't that the way so many today treat their Christian faith? That we're the center, we're the star. It's about us being famous, about us getting our way, and us getting our health and our prosperity, and all these things we've bought into that we need in this life. And we're the center, we're the star, and God's kind of the supporting actor. They're trying to support us in our lead role in our lives. And we flipped the picture of what it's supposed to be. Our lives are not to be us at the center. Our lives are to be God at the center with us reflecting everything back to him. And so the antidote to that type of pride is the humility that comes going, I'm not created for my sake. I'm created by God for his sake, for his glory. Or in the words of the catechism, one of our earlier questions, we are not our own, but we belong to God. Friends, we've got to own that and know that, that we are not our own. We belong to God. So it should give us humility as we think about our lives being made for the glory of God. It should foster humility. Number two, though, it should foster a sense of purpose. 
to sense, foster a sense of purpose, that God has given us a purpose to glorify him, that our lives are not meaningless, our lives are not pointless, that our lives have a great divine purpose that God has given to us. We're going to explore more of this in two weeks, but I want you to see a glimpse of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, we're told that whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the what? Glory. The glory of of God, that we have a purpose in this life, and from how we eat our meals to what we do every day at work or school or how we talk to our friends, we have an opportunity to fulfill our God-given purpose every day, regardless of how fulfilled you feel in your job or your family life or all those type of things. You have a purpose from God that you can fulfill every day. Jesus saw the same thing in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In Matthew 5, 16, I want you to see that on the screen as well. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give what? give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That we have an opportunity every day before a lost and dying world to point people to the glory of God. Again, we'll explore more of that in two weeks. But for now, realize, friends, your life is no accident. You were made intentionally by a sovereign God, and he has a grand purpose in your life, not to put you at the center of the stage and make you all famous and everything, but to make himself famous through you. And we'll do go more on that. So your understanding we're made for the glory of God gives us humility, it gives us purpose, but number three, friends, it gives us hope. It gives us great hope. And this is where I don't want to miss the context. That's why context is so important. You can pull out this phrase that we're created for his glory and miss the fact that those were words to give comfort to God's people. God's people were in a trial, in a hardship. They were in exile. And what God speaks to them in these tender words was, I created you for my glory. Therefore, that means in the verses we saw earlier before that he's saying, I can even turn the affairs of nations to make sure I get glory through you. In the midst of all this, God will not forsake his people because he has a purpose for them and his purposes will always stand. So Isaiah can declare what God said with confidence back in verse 5. Fear not, and life is hard for them, but fear not, I am with you. As he lays out the rest of his purpose, it will surely happen because nothing can thwart his plan. And that's why we can say with confidence, Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You know it well, we see it very often. And we know that for those who love God, how many things? All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Friends, if you know Christ, it's because he has pursued you and he has redeemed you. Therefore, you have a purpose in this life to glorify God, and nothing can thwart that purpose. That God in his sovereignty will see it to completion, that all things will work for that purpose to happen in your life. So why did God create us? Quite simply, back to verse 7. Everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Friends, I want to ask you this morning. Can you say with confidence today that you know for sure God made you for his glory? That you know the God who made you to be an image of him in a broken world to glorify him in what you do? Because if that's not real to you, today I want to ask you to cry out to the Lord and say, God, reveal yourself to me. I want to know you, the God who does everything for your glory. There's no accident you're here. It's no accident if you're watching online today. God, I believe, is wanting you to come to see how great he is and to follow him. But friends, if you know this to be true, if you know you're a child of God, you know that Christ has redeemed you, you know that you are loved by God, can you say with confidence, I'm not my own but belong to God? Can you understand this day the grace gift there is in knowing that our lives are not about us but about him? And friends, if you know this to be true, is there that connection between the brain and the heart? Is this truth getting deep down into your soul and producing in you humility to help you think rightly about yourself? Is this a grace gift that is producing in you purpose, not having to wonder what was my life purpose? God has told you what it is. Do you understand it? Friends, is this truth a grace gift to you to give you hope? As we say often, we're going to walk through trials. 
We're going to walk through hardships. But do you know in the midst of it, like we saw here, that God is holding you because he has a great purpose to make much of him through you, friends. God created us for his glory. That should give us humility, purpose, and hope, friends. Is it doing that for you today? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you tell us who you are. We thank you that you tell us who we are. Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. And Lord, we thank you today for the great comfort and hope and purpose there is in knowing that everything is about you and not about us. Lord, we just want to confess that so often, Lord, I know I do and I believe we all do, we struggle and we make our lives about us. And Lord, we forget that you are the center of the stage, not us. Lord, would you forgive us this day, Lord, for all those times, even this week where we've acted like our lives are about us. We've forgotten that truth that we are not our own but belong to you. And we've acted like that we are our own that we can do what we want to do. Lord, forgive us for how quickly we lose sight of this glorious truth that you do everything for the sake of your name. And Lord, we ask for much grace that this week you would keep our mind focused on that. Would you know how quickly pride wells up in us? You know the pull of our own fleshly desires that take us back down those roads of making everything about us. So we ask for grace this week to be quick to repent when that happens, to be quick to desire to humble ourselves before you and this week to want to make much of you in every circumstance. And would you remind us all throughout this week that we are image bearers of you. Would you give us opportunities, Lord, to point others to you, to speak to others as fellow image bearers of God. And in all we do this week, by your grace and by your Holy Spirit dwelling within us, to give us the heart's desire to want to make much of you and glorify you. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?
to review that truth that we've just studied together. So we'll put it back up on the screen for you, our answer for today's question. So why did God create us? Now let's get the answer back up. Let's say it together, friends. God created us for his own glory. That reality should give us humility, purpose, and hope. And Father, we pray that this week you would produce within us through your Holy Spirit, bringing this truth to mind through your word coming alive to us this week, through our fellowship with one another, Lord, that you would generate within us a God-given humility, God, give us a sense of purpose and hope whatever we walk through, knowing that we are not our own but belong to you and you made us for your glory. Lord, have your way in us this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon.